Welcome back to Side Quest, episode 22, Final Fantasy VII, episode 10. Back with me, my esteemed colleague, Mr. Wesley Chance. Hey, good to be back. Good to have you back in another night and another episode out on the air. I really do feel more and more like this is what I do rather than even what I do during the day, which I find very deeply meaningful. It's very interesting how this project is evolving. Yeah, I, I like having these uh, kind of regular segments that we're, we're building up here. Um, it's, it's cool to talk about different things with a similar perspective, but you know, each one has its own kind of flavor to it. Right, and well, speaking of that, today we got to nibble, not Nibbleheim now, with I, I think red, uh, to the icon that indicates the city from the world map is two uh, sort of uh, hieroglyphs of a house. And I think the tops of them are pink now. I might be mistaken, but weren't they a different color, like blue in the past uh, with Sephiroth scene back in Calm? Um, oh, yeah, I don't remember. Because that would be very interesting, too, because one thing that I think I'm starting to notice about Cloud is he might be an unreliable narrator. Exactly. And that's what that's what Red 13 sort of asks when he's like, didn't this place burn down? And did you lie to us, Cloud? And yeah, so, and also just something interesting is that we see these men in black in his quote-unquote hometown. And they're, they're saying these creepy things, and I want to ask you about those. But one thing they say is that the voice of Sephiroth is calling to them. Can you hear it? And boom, all of a sudden as the player, bang, what jumps into your head? What was that voice that you kept hearing earlier? <laughs> yeah. And what are these dark, shadowy, dementory looking things that idolize Sephiroth sort of like a god? And th there is all that pseudo sort of religious imagery and maybe not even pseudo, right? Uh, you have this mm -hmm. sort of heartbeat music in the Shinra mansion. Dun, 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 dun. They're talking about reunion or integrating. Sephiroth is talked about as a being that can summon them by call. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, I found the first um, man in a black cape uh, to be the hardest to see. If, mm. if you go sort of like uh, clockwise around the, the houses, like, you know, from the nearest to the entrance and then all the way around. So it's kind of interesting how as you go along, they become more and more obvious ah. and you know to look for them. And I think the game kind of rewards you for looking for them too, because they'll, they'll tend to give you items if you talk to them. I wanted uh, to ask you about that. Yeah, what gifts with that? They're nice items, like elixir. Yeah, right. They're, they're things that heal you and restore um mp uh, particularly and and so yeah it's stuff like it's like when you talk to the people in town uh they're not giving you the whole story right and then right under their noses there's these mysterious figures sort of lumpy you know indistinct but if you talk to them uh you get these items which yeah are, are super useful um and so it's sort of like um, you have to you have to seek them out. You have to seek out those things that are uh, indistinct, that are that are hidden, um, and then they become more obvious and they repay the effort. 
Well, yeah, and just to, just to hit that same nail from a union perspective, to take that for a moment, it seems like what you're suggesting is that if, with, with the mix of what I'm suggesting, it, um, if what these, these lumpy, deformed failures to become Sephiroth, idol, idolaters of Sephiroth, are seen as, say, memories of your own failures and of, from Cloud, uh, because this is supposed to be his his hometown, and so a place of memory and nostalgia. But but what he finds there is not what he expects, but rather these these sort of fake superficial people who he does not know anymore, and this dark underlying belly that's rich with treasure. And so it, it's almost as if what what the game is suggesting from a union perspective is that what Cloud is not facing in himself, and I think you were saying this. Um, is that which he must face in order to receive the treasure. He must mm. face the dragon to get the treasure, which are the items that restore his mind or MP his, and his whole personality or character, right? You cannot be the person you are or act in the way you need to if you are denying the things you have actually done and experienced because those are what reveal who you are, even when they are negative and especially when they are negative. Yeah, yeah, and each of these characters has got a tattoo. Yes. Um, and so you get the sense that there's a kind of, um, there's a kind of order to them, right? Uh, mm. If you could only piece it together, but of course you only see them uh, out of order and, and indistinct and they're sort of, um, yeah, unformed, unfinished. Uh, but yeah, what they say seems to be that they are um, close to their goal, right? They, they're almost there. And that seems to be the case with Cloud too, right? He's, he's gotten enough of an impression of kind of the right way to, to go here from seeing Barrett and Red 13 uh, go through facing their pasts, right? So in his way too, Cloud is, is also kind of close to his goal of, of re figuring out, you know, what it is he's been hiding or uh, keeping from himself and and in this place of of all places right this place that he thought had burned down and then to find it uh apparently fine and rebuilt um it's a it's a really curious um mirror for himself too because he superficially seems like he's great you know soldier or whatnot right but but there's something missing right there's some piece that has been lost there um buried and and you gotta you gotta figure it out that's right, and I think uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, to some extent, tries to make this point too. He is the final character that you can get, though not the most remarkable, and I think he is actually called Soldier in the game. He's, he's given a, an indistinct title, not Cloud, not individual, and I think that's precisely what Cloud is trying to be, right? Indistinct, like a Cloud, um, to not stand out, to not have a story. It's as if he thinks his story makes him weak or, or in being individual, he cannot be the ideal soldier. When in reality, what makes Sephiroth great is precisely because he's such an individual. That he's not just a part of a rank order, but he is the order itself. He sets the order. He's so incredible. And so what, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting then that all these little blobs are, are called the man in the black cape, right? Because that's what we've been calling Sephiroth right. all along. And 
that's how people describe him when you're on his trail. And so it's really cool that you see this kind of uh, distorted version of him huddled all around town and then sort of like lumbering around by the, the fence around the mansion. And so, yeah, so as much as you've looked up to him all along, now you see this sort of other side of him, right? The, the lumpy, the imperfect, um, that which needs to be brought together, reunited. Uh, and so it's like, which one do you want to be, right? It's sort of like the question that's posed for Cloud here. Um, do you really want to be this this false facade, this unfinished thing, or do you want to uh, figure out your, your your real story and get it straight and understand what's going on? Right, and I mean, the evidence is mounting around him that not only does anybody involved with Shinra probably have some sort of genetic alteration having been done to them involving Mako. I mean, just this Vince sub-story mixed with the Sephiroth sub-story that we've seen, just with these people who have been experimented on slash experimentally created by Shinra slash what we know about um, Shinra just creating monsters in general. It's like, Cloud, come on, man. You know something messed up has been done to you too. Um, it's just so close to home with Vince. It's like, it could have been about you. And in fact, if you play the game Crisis Core, it's sort of, <laughs> you also find that out at the end of, that you have spent time in this mansion, in a tube, uh, locked away. And so, you know, that evidence is mounting and, and just the general evidence from Red 13 and Barrett and Ares and Tifa, as we've seen, that um, everybody has a story that they're dealing with. And you've been helping them all along get through theirs, but that's only supposed to be preparation for getting through to yours. And I think that's also sort of one of those nudges to the player like we've been talking about, the sort that Ido is famous for making um, from Earthbound fame that you've, you've recently started uh, writing for the Well-Read Mage about, which I'm very proud uh, to see that you're doing. And that's very cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty much the same as the other, um, the blog itself, or the, the podcast itself, but just uh, kind of in a, in a more readable way. Um, putting it out there yeah yeah but so with with Vincent being in the crypt there that's that's a thing that you can totally miss yeah right? you don't you don't have to find him and like you're describing if there's more to that story told in, in the sequel um I'm I haven't played that so I don't know like I know that there's there's hints though right the game gives you this hint mm -hmm. when you come into the mansion one of the first rooms has uh, a, a note basically saying like, you can try to solve this puzzle. And I think you can actually, you can just not go in the mansion too. Like you can just leave town and keep going on with the game and never, never actually go in the mansion at all. So the whole thing is completely optional, but it's well worth uh, the effort to, to go through it. Um, you, well, you pick up a bunch of cool stuff in there and it's just like, spooky and fun you know and it's interesting because it's spooky not directly related to you even though it's this mansion where you know one of the scariest things you've ever seen happen watching Sephiroth turn and yet there are even more horrors in this in this place making you know just just a couple of things about the Shinra mansion 
it is a horrifying place, including the enemies that you run into there. The one guy on the pendulum axe that has those nasty, strong attacks, and then those, those evil pumpkins that can mute you so that you can't use magic on them. Um, it, with, paired with that uh, sort of religious gong mute, it's like the half Sephiroth theme without uh, the opera singers. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, um, it's, the whole thing about it seems to be evoking the idea of demons or ghosts from the past. Or like just even the figure of the one man who is half blade and half sort of Sephiroth looking uh, long haired guy. It's like a cutting or, or, or like painful memory that attacks yeah. you. Yeah, there's also the um, the scales. There's a, a an enemy that it's it's like a set of um, old fashioned scales, like balance, ah. and so it uh, it sort of prefigures the boss fight too, because the boss is also like two things. Yes. And um, down in the basement, there's that yeah that enemy that's also two things. So there's something going on there with like, um, so the scales right an image of. Um, of judgment of course right like do you rise do you fall and and the way that it plays out too is like you as you just as you say you need to you need to have some pretty strong magic at this point in the game to make this a little easier um fighting the scales you can't actually do damage to them once you hit them with a physical attack the scale shifts to the other side and then only magic attacks will hurt them and and so like if you um have used up your magic or whatever, you're kind of stuck. You, you, you might have to just leave, uh, run away from a fight. And if you're fighting those balloons and they um, mute you and confuse you, then pretty soon you can start to be in trouble against them too. And so, yeah, I think these are some of the hardest like random fights so far. And the, and the lost number is certainly the hardest boss fight so far, although he's optional. Yeah, getting me again. Yeah, and it's interesting because you're making me think that sort of the point of a side quest, and this whole thing is a side quest, and so it's yeah. perfect that we're that we're hitting it, is uh, that it just adds to your experience and your understanding of yourself and enriches the game. Um, it's just getting to do more difficult and interesting things because I think this is the first time you actively choose to do something that is above your level. Um, because um, I'm like level. 27 28 with my characters i saw that some people were like level 30 31 going against this boss and with lost number uh so like you said he's two things at first he's a hybrid he's like a fire monster that can use bolt two and is which can do like 500 damage and my guys all have like a thousand uh hp and he's also yeah. a very physical being a purple sort of barbarian that wears a loincloth and depending on how i suppose how how much magic or physical attacks you do to him, he evolves into one or the other. And I know this, not from a strategy guide, but because I died to him twice before finally <laughs> defeating him. And I wanted to mention a couple things about that. One is this, my strategy had to become more and more coordinated as I went on. I had to understand the boss more. I had to make a coordinated healer. I added all to restore. I uh, used a tent. I ran straight to defeat him. Um, and I... Uh, and I then looked up a couple strategies for how to attack him. So I cast bio on him finally and poisoned him. And I uh, set Cloud's uh, limit break to the first one with blade beam so, or cross slash so that I could try and paralyze him. 
which mm. did make him much easier. But I wanted to say, like you said, if you've done the additional side quests like you've been doing, like I'm trying to do now, kind of, uh, I would have gotten uh, the enemy skill Big Guard, which you brought up yeah. recently. And that would be very helpful against him when he became physical because his physical side, when he gets to that after you've taken enough HP off him, he can do something like 700, 750 bits of or hit points of damage with a hit, and he can double attack you. So he can take out any of my characters out of nowhere. And he has an attack that does 2,400 HP damage, and my guys at most are at 1,000. And so right. he does do some pretty above your level stuff, even though it is possible to beat him. And so I experienced also that sort of feeling from Xenogears of, oh my God, this guy is so strong. Maybe I need to wait until later. It might be impossible. But that's that was just my unsophisticated, unstrategically minded approach to him. My my, I've been going through the game like a Barrett or an Achilleus. I need to be going through the game like an Odysseus thinking through yeah. it do, the game does reward that. And one additional thing I wanted to say is I think that's what a boss battle means. You better be paying the toll if you want to get the story here, which means you need to be attacking and approaching the game in a more sophisticated manner. And if you've gotten lazy, like I have certainly, it's going to remind you that you're going to have to lace up your boots a little tighter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it sort of trains you a little bit, even before you can take him on, you have to explore the house to find yes. all of the uh, the hidden numbers, right? And yes. and one of the numbers you when you go to actually use them on the if you find the three that are like apparent uh, from the hint and you get those three numbers and then you go to try to use them on the safe, you'll first first of all Cloud is like I don't know this seems like a bad idea uh -huh. so you're like okay let's try it anyway and so you try it and you realize that there's four numbers and it's like what. Where's the, what is the fourth? So if you go back and you read the note again and you scroll down past the third thing, there's invisible writing there, which I think is so cool. So it's like, you have no way to possibly know that unless you try it and it doesn't work. And then you have to go like recheck all your steps, you know, like problem solve, like what could I have missed? And you see, there's like this space there. So if you, and you, and read the invisible ink somehow. It's like by, by dint of, of effort and failure, <laughs> you, you can finally read properly. And so then you, you're just given the number that you needed. And so that's like, I think a metaphor, right? Because the guy's called lost number. It's like, that's the, that's the thing. You, you, you can beat it more like, you have a better chance of beating it if you lose first, right? Yes. It's by losing against him, by, by failing to even open the safe in the first place, that you realize that you're missing something. And that's like the whole thing, that's the whole thing of Cloud, right? Like he comes to this place where he thinks he knows what's going on and sees that it's not so. And so then it's like, it's that Socratic moment, right? Of like realizing you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what's going on. You don't know the whole story. And so recheck, right? Recheck, tread your, retread your steps, go back into the mansion, go back through this, um, this place which was in your memory and see what you were missing. And for one thing, right, in his memory, there was no safe, that, that's new. Um, and so that's like pretty obviously some, something to, uh, to deal with, some kind of anomaly, right, to, uh, to encounter. And yeah, like you said, the strategy is gonna depend on the, not the ratio, but I think the, simply the last attack that you do 
ah. at a certain point in the fight is what determines which he'll switch into. And so if you're using primarily magic, I think he becomes strong against magic. And so then you, you should finish him off with physical attacks. And if you're using primarily physical attacks, uh, and like whatever the last one you do is a physical, then he'll switch to be strong against that and you'll have to use magic to finish him off. So it's like he, he too learns from, from experience and that's like part of what makes the fight difficult and, and challenging and fun. Uh, that's so fascinating on several levels, what you just said. I like also to compare the fact that he's called lost number to the fact that there are these numbered lumps all around. Oh, yeah. yeah. Also uh, to the idea that he is in a safe in a mansion, which is like a double symbol of the unconscious. Yeah. Um, like the deepest recess that is locked within the unconscious, except we find that there are multiple ones in the Shinra, right? There mm -hmm. are not only memories that we cannot yet see within this uh, particular time and space, but there are events hidden down there as well, as well as there being an actual safe with a monster called Lost Number in it, which is both physical <laughs> and magical. Um, it seems to be like a, a, a sort of brutal embodiment of that which you have locked away in the deepest recesses of your past and have refused to face. And that what's interesting mm. is that in order to face it, you actually have to be strong. It's not, this is not like some pop psychology, like just face your demons and you just like can, right? <laughs> it's very hard to be even the regular bosses or the regular fighters or, or random attacks here who can confuse you and mute you. They take your voice away, your mm. logos. They take away your ability to think. This is a dangerous underworld-like place and you do get that sense from the creepy music and you do get that sense from the creepy enemies. I mean, even like the blade guy who falls on the ground and then like gets back up in that pathetic way. He's like a Hellraiser character. He's so creepy. And, mm. um, but, but it sharpens you too because you have to get smarter while also dealing with this fear. So you're getting braver and you're problem solving these weird riddles. And then the final problem is one of perception. It reminds me of Song of Myself like yesterday talking about, uh, you know, in broader, broader domains of experience or being outside of experience, you know, from the experience of a person to an animal to a star to the idea of uh, an abstraction palpable and to the idea of that abs which we cannot even represent the impalpable but like that's what you actually have to look for here uh not only do you have to problem solve and have patience and have strength and bravery but you you have to then search for that which you cannot see <laughs> in a moment of pure frustration after having seemingly solved the problem and not understanding that there is an extra step to it um mm -hmm. uh it's uh, and then you have to fight a brutal boss who will probably kill you so that you'll have to sharpen your strategy against him. It's almost like what this, this the game is suggesting here is that the most valuable thing about facing the demons of your past is that it is so hard that it will make you have to develop the cognitive and behavioral resources necessary in order to face them. And that, that will, you will have to be stronger to face them or, or, you know, or, you know, you're going to have to approach over time and increase the sophistication of your strategy as you deal with, uh, with this. Um, because, you know, you have to up your level to play at this game um, or to play this part of the game. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's, it's optional, but it's better if you do. And it's, 
hard at first, but it pays off in the long run, right? And and to the point where you you get a new party member, but also you get the final limit break for Red 13, which of course you're probably not able to even use yet, but it's called Cosmo Memory, which is pretty, you know, evocative um, as far as unlocking a lost memory or something like that, or a cosmic uh, hole that, that you're missing a piece of. And, and you also get your next summon spell from, uh, from succeeding in that fight is uh, Odin. So like the, you know, the, not just the old man with the lightning staff thing going on, but like the old man who uh, kills you with one hit, basically, <laughs> right? He just basically kills any random encounter. It's, it's awesome. Uh, and I think he also, I think he'll change his attack for the purposes of like boss fights and stuff. So it's, it just deals a bunch of damage instead. But either way, uh, pretty, pretty cool um, to have him on your team. And then, yeah, of course, Vincent, who is like a scary monster in a um, coffin down there, but who joins your party uh, and wants to like make amends for some deep, dark thing in his past. Yeah, and it's interesting, Odin, just as a summon, just the idea of him from Norse mythology is that he is the suffering god like Jesus, like Dionysus in the Greek um, religion, who's torn apart by the maenads every winter and then reborn like the tree or like the, the leaves on a tree in the spring, and that he, he sacrifices himself by putting himself on a tree and sacrifices his eye for the knowledge of, of ancient runes. Which, oh, yeah. which suggests that in sacrificing your time, you gain wisdom beyond that which you could see with your physical eye. And that wisdom is, in fact, far more valuable than just your physical eye. Because what's the value of your physical eye if you, you know, you're so dumb you don't understand what's going on around you? <laughs> so he is sort of the god of insight in that way. Sort of like how Tiresias is the Greek figure of insight who's blind, like Homer who's blind. And so it's like what he's saying is you feel like perhaps half a man because of not being an ideal hero in that you are not perfect as a human. You certainly have a dark side, but in actually facing that and seeing that you are not ideal, facing the beast within, which is Vince's literal <laughs> limit break, and his oh, name yeah. is totally ironic, right, as Vince, as uh, the winner Vince means conqueror mm -hmm. or, or, or one who has won. Um, Vinny Vitti Vicky is the perfect example from, um, from Caesar. I came, I saw, I conquered that Vicky is the perfect of um, Vinky or Vinkire, uh, Winkere, the Latinists will say, uh, which means to, to conquer or to win, um, to overcome. And so and it's very interesting. Vince certainly has not overcome his own demons given that he will transform into one that is sort of uncontrollable from what I remember once you turn yeah. into it. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, so he comes out, he pops out of his coffin when you go in there and like with Yuffie, you have to talk to him before he'll join your party. And some of what he says uh, alludes to some kind of, yeah, dark, 
secret that he has. He he mentions a um, a character called Lucretia, uh, spelled with a C, but it's the same name, right, as from the um, the Latin myth. The rape um, of Lucretia, yes. Exactly, exactly. And so apparently in, in Vincent's story, if, if I'm understanding it right, he's saying that she uh, is actually Sephiroth's mother. Yes. And it's like that, so that's like the an additional clue. Like, again, this is a side quest, kind of, you don't necessarily this. When you talk to Sephiroth there in the, in the library, he also says, like, basically, um, Genova is not an ancient, right? Instead, there's this, this calamity from the skies, um, and he's all about that now instead. Um, so very, in very rapid succession, you sort of get this, uh, this idea, um, which was first alluded to back in Cosmo Canyon, that like this whole story that Sephiroth has constructed for himself is, is quite off. It's quite wrong. And, and so, again, as a kind of parallel, right, it's like Cloud's mom is not there. Um, this town is not burned down. Uh, apparently, like all these people in town have been uh, acting out this elaborate thing um, to, to allay suspicion about what happened there in the past. And uh, it's it's all like coming to a head here, where these fabrications and uh, ideas of identity are, are kind of just just crumbling. Um, and in Sephiroth's case, it's fine because he can just like fly. You know, he just like uh, is not bound, is not beholden. But Cloud, the more he goes along on his quest, the more he becomes beholden to all these other people, right? Like these friends that you meet along the way. And so there's this new one here, Vincent, who's got his problems to deal with, right? And he's gonna come along with you to help you deal with yours. Uh, and and so the, the contrast, right, to your party versus Sephiroth grows stronger, but the parallel between Cloud and Sephiroth is, is all the more like reinforced all the time. Well, I wonder if it's suggesting sort of the two differing paths of life and how one can deal with anomalous information. One can take the path of delusion and try to sort of elevate oneself above the world and thus connect with no one and not even with the truth, like in Sephiroth's case, or actually put the work in to problem solve and face oneself, like what Cloud is starting to have to do, yeah. right? He, he's keeping his feet on the ground, literally. And he is doing the work and facing reality and facing current challenges. And they are making him stronger and more capable of dealing in the world. And while he's doing this, he's acquiring additional information that is giving him a better map of reality, that is giving him a stronger understanding of Sephiroth's past than even Sephiroth has. Because it turns out that Sephiroth has a mother and it's not Genova. It's Lucretia. Yeah. And that means he has a regular father too, which would probably horrify him if he knew exactly who it was, who we will find out eventually, mm -hmm. because his father will not be good enough for him because he thought his mother was a goddess, so he'll probably want his father to have been a god. And, but the fact is, he does not have this information Cloud does, and Cloud has worked hard to get it. And if Sephiroth had it, uh, what would that do to his worldview? Um, I mean, at this point, he's barely even human. He's sort of like a Voldemortian form that's sort of kept alive 
by these indistinct forms and this like like Quirrell from the first book of um, Harry Potter hmm. um, trying to bring him back into being in some way. And he's sort of disembodied, even though you hear stories about him having passed through. But even that sort of legend of him is disembodied as well. Like somebody existing in talk is not the same as in reality. We still have not, well, we saw Sephiroth, but he went through floors and stuff. So it's like, <laughs> how much did we really see him? Um, yeah. But um, I, I'm just wondering whether the idea here is that you can pretend like you are perfect and, <laughs> but what you sacrifice is the correct view of reality and thus the correct way to act in reality and thus you will fail to embody the hero even to the limited extent you can as an imperfect being if you try and identify with Sephiroth or with that path of trying to fly above it all as if you do not have flaws or yeah. could not be wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, in, it's interesting too, because he, as he flies past you this time, uh, or before he flies past you, maybe he hurls this, this material at you. And so of course you, you get to pick it up after he flies by. And it's the destruct material. It's the one that will undo spells like um, barrier, and um, and and if you if you level it up, it'll it'll cast death. So you just you just destroy with it. Um, that's kind of his. That's his, you know, the manifestation in in materia form of his whole trajectory at this point, which is just to to undo your your idolized idea of him, the spell that he had cast on you is pretty much broken at this point, right? That you've seen what he's up to and heard him talk about calamity from the skies and all this crazy stuff, right? And um, and his ultimate endpoint is, of course, death, you know, because he's, turns out he's mortal. Sorry, Sephira. Yeah, 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 yeah. And well, so, okay. So I just had, um, I think one other question I wanted to ask you about just because I know that you're a little bit musically inclined and a little bit more than I am and I, I like learning from you what about these pianos we find in this place we find one in Tifa's house that we can play oh yeah we find one also in the Shinra mansion and also behind it is where we find one of the clues but uh, did you make anything of that or in that parallel or the idea that these these pianos are being included in this. I, I did think how it is interesting that it gives you information about how people must have lived at the time that the video game was made, that the sort of backgrounds are and the furnishings in the house or in the mansion make sense to us. And so mm -hmm. that would be information, but I don't know. Did you do anything with the fact that you could play these pianos? Um, did you play the pianos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can play them now. I don't think anything really happens yet. At least I couldn't get anything to happen yet from playing it. Um, I know at some point by playing it, something good happens. It's either like a limit break or, or, or an ultimate weapon or something like that. But, yeah. um, but at this point, it's just like another weird, um, a, apparently uh, useful thing that you can do, right? So you can sort of explore it. Um, and I think that that's kind of what I would 
make of the pianos, I guess, is just that they are um, a limited thing, but within that limitation, there's like an infinite possibility. Um, so if you're just kind of randomly playing it, you're not likely, right, just like with the numbers on, on the safe for that matter, like if you just randomly spin the numbers, you're not likely to like hit on the right thing and just randomly playing a piano, you're not too likely to hit on the right song. Um, so despite the fact that they are bounded, right, uh, with a certain number of notes, from those notes, you can make any song and every possible combination, right? Which I think is pretty cool. And the reason that that's possible uh, is because of, of the extension in time. So if there was like, uh, I think something that pianos and music make you aware of is the passage of time, right? Because it's an art form which is invisible, but which extends um, from beginning to end. Uh, so it's kind of like a story in that way, right? You, you begin from one place and you move through it and you come to somewhere else. Um, it's a, but, but it's, it's so, um, it's, it's not words, it's not uh, meanings in the same sense. And so in a, in a way that the medium itself is, is just time, it's just that, that time that you spend. Um, and of course, like that's pretty relevant for this point in the game, right? Because it's like you're walking through this place where you have already been in your memory. So the passage of time is pretty upmost, pretty much up there in your in your mind. Um, yeah, I, I also yeah, just, yeah. I just well, I I think that the um, there's something kind of spooky about pianos, also, mm. right? It's like they're, that that's definitely there too. Um, they're they're kind of creaky and they're. Uh, they're haunted. I mean, every piano has got a little bit of a spirit to it, I think. That's true. That's true. And, you know, you can press down on one of the pedals and make them increasingly even more creepy. And then, of course, there's the ultimate evolution of creepy piano in the organ or the pipe organ, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, that's very interesting. Also, something interesting about uh, the piano and putting that in hometown is, like you said, when you just randomly play on it without a... a, a a concrete goal you are directing your playing towards, then you don't get any better. You're just mm. sort of idly spending your time. You're wasting your time. Whereas the whole point of music is teaching you how to elegantly spend your time and how to connect different moments in time together. If um, you say, play multiple pieces of music or a symphony. Um, and so, so that I think that's very interesting. And also the notion that um, as a child, um, that is a good use of time to learn how to direct and that perhaps that's why a big reason why we include music in the education of children that um, a structured approach towards practicing uh, something in order to increase your skill so that you can embody more sophisticated manifestations of the art harder hmm. pieces of music um, is exactly the process of how you make your consciousness more sophisticated. Um, and that that is perhaps the most worthwhile use of time you can have, especially as a young person. Um, and well, I thought that was one thing that might be there. Uh, the second thing was just that um, I think it's so interesting that this is very much a hometown visit to 
too cloud, but it's sort of an inversion of the common trope. It's more of a you can never go home again sort of idea because he does come to a hometown which does enrich him in his understanding and makes his mind stronger. He's actually receiving things like elixir and mind source from uh, these, these lumpy creatures in black. Um, but it, it, he is returning to the past. Hmm, how is it that I want to put it exactly? It's, it's not a place of comfort and safety. It's a place yeah. of darkness and danger, even though it is his hometown. And it's precisely because it is so deep in his past that the lies are so powerful and rooted. And so he is going to have to be stronger and more sophisticated in order to deal with these, these deep lies that lie within him and his character that are keeping him from understanding his character, in fact. Um, and so this, this is like a true uh, homecoming to the the place where you have not shined your consciousness the light of your consciousness for some time that is overgrown with darkness um and you're going to have to really light the fire in a purgatorial way here <laughs> uh uh in sort of a sephirothian way right yeah. it's like perhaps it is cloud that needs to burn down his idea of the past and perhaps his former idea of himself or his former ideal in order to move forward into the future yeah. And if, if it's true that he needs to do that, then it seems like some other ideal has had better arise to take its place so that he's not just totally aimless, you know, right. And so, that's not a great idea either. So, so that is something very interesting because, so I just started teaching the Purgatorio again and something that all the spirits say who have to then go onto the beach, which is a sandy plain before you get to the mountain itself, which doesn't happen until Canto 9 or so, um, uh, they, uh, they say something like, in Exodus day, I get to Israel, which mm. is from Exodus, mm -hmm. which is, you know, out from Egypt and towards <laughs> Israel, which mm. means you go from the place of structure and tyranny, you get rid of the structure, and then boom, chaos. You're in the desert, you're disoriented, you're in a dark wood, like Dante would say. Um, and so between ideals, there, really, there is a real time mm. of chaos, which is truly difficult for any person to endure either physically. I mean, we represent it as a desert, right? That's pretty hostile conditions. And it's disorienting. Where are you going? Will you ever get there? It's just as psychologically difficult as it is physically difficult to deal with the desert. Or a dark wood, which might also have predators in it, right? Well, in a desert as well. And so I think it bears thinking about just how scary that is, but that that is also part of the process that another ideal does not simply replace the former ideal. Um, and, and that how could it, because you have become more sophisticated, Cloud has become so much more sophisticated than he was when he first idolized Sephiroth. He is so much stronger. And mm -hmm. so he needs a more refined and uh, richer and perhaps even realer ideal than Sephiroth at this point. And to some extent, I think that he's going to have to have some hand in creating that, in mm -hmm. molding that, um, that it won't simply be given to him, sort of like the images of heroes are given to children, um, but that as like an adult or as a conscious being, you sort of mold that for yourself. Yeah, I think 
we've seen him sort of set on that path. And so it's, it's not so much a figure anymore as a, a way of being and a way of mm. encountering problems and dealing with one's own past and, and all these things. And it also it seems to me, right, like his whole, his whole journey has been about um, growing closer to these other people too. And so there's that, there's that element uh, to, uh, to gain knowledge of nature and um, the life stream and this and that, right? So, there's a lot that goes into it. It's 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 no longer as simple as like finding oh someone else to look up to. Yeah, it's definitely changed in in its uh, in its well, nature as well as its uh, object. And that's very interesting because I think you're suggesting something that we've mentioned before, but now we're hitting it from a different angle, which is that what you learn from this game is that the truest diversity between people is also that which creates the greatest unity, which mm. is sharing that which is worst about yourself with someone else and having them understand it. Sharing your darkest side, your bestial side, the, the worst of you and having them sort of accept you for that because that's what you're doing all along, right? You're accepting Barrett with this gun arm who's this loser, traitor, possibly terrorist. <laughs> And Kate Sith, who's this just, you know, hilarious chimera and uh, Red 13, who's, you know, some, if anything were ever a minority, it would be him. And, oh, yeah. um, and uh, you know, anything that could be looked down on because he is literally like a dog creature. Um, all these people that you meet in Final Fantasy VII are deeply flawed. And that's why, part of why you love them because you help, because they are willing to face what it is in the, in themselves they are willing to face their own flaws and they all the tragedies of their own existence and the tragedies in their existences they're willing to fight the demons of their past and that is what makes them heroic to you and that's what draws you together as friends because each one of you imitates each other mm -hmm. in the game in the course of the arc of the game you help each other to face the darkness of your past and it doesn't matter what your race is or where you come from or even what your species is or even whether you're alive, because KCF is an android in this case. Yeah. Every single one of these creatures, as a story-having creature, which is what a sentient being is, has that part of the story that is shrouded in darkness. That is part of every story. And only mm -hmm. in sharing that with others do you see the fullness of your story and then connect with them in the deepest way. And so I think that's sort of something that's maybe being missed in our conversations right now especially as we attempt to demonize each other it's like we all have some demon in us that's that's clear what do you study in history only wars um <laughs> essentially and some treaties between wars and how incredible those were um and and then you pass through like you're like oh 90 years of peace that was really cool uh you know good job and then like pax romana like 200 years it's like wow that was pretty good too next war um but that in a, attempting to identify with each other simply based on superficial characteristics that are based on the notion that we don't actually have real characteristics, which is of course absurd, um, <laughs> because that's what we like about other people, their characteristics um, and how they are similar and different from us. What we're doing is we're, we're sort of creating packs that aren't based on that which is most substantial in a human and actually keep you from reaching that which is so most substantial in a human because in limiting what you can say 
to other people, um, you limit, of course, the most important things you can say to other people. Um, it's like a censorship of that which is most meaningful. And I think that then you deny yourself that which is richest in life, which is, the most, which is a, a substantial connection to another human and the tragedy of their fate, which is what I think we see in Final Fantasy VII, just to make a short point long. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the, uh, the diversity question is, is addressed in a pretty interesting way in this game. Um, the way that it brings together, yeah, this, this kind of ragtag band of people, um, each of whom uh, carries a certain amount of baggage. It, it, really, uh, it really makes the story a lot more interesting. And um, I think that we're about to, I'm not forgetting anyone, then we're about to meet our final uh, party member pretty soon, yes. aren't we? The perennial yeah. The one who will take us above the clouds, who will give us our ultimate ability to move eventually. Yeah. Yes. Sid, cool. great and powerful. Well, actually, he's not the last one that you get if you haven't got Yuffie by then. That's true. Right. I know. <laughs> I was thinking about that Shane face. I'm facing, you know, sort of a, uh, perhaps a mid-game crisis right now. And I wouldn't exactly call it a crisis in terms of the emotional valence of that word, but just the sort of Greek idea of like a point of decision. Mm -hmm. or a point of, as it's used now, incision, right? Like resurgence, crisis point. But um, but I, I think I am pretty okay with, like I really enjoyed this side quest and I spent some time doing it and I knew that I wasn't going to get very far today, but I got a lot of information from what I was right doing, on. just like Cloud. And I was thinking pretty clearly and I thought that was great. And it, it makes me want to, since the game is starting to reward better gameplay, it makes me want to play at that higher level. Nice. And be more prepared for the future, and in being more prepared for the future, have fewer um, unforeseen errors that cost me time. And right. that, that's actually something I've seen that the game rewards. And so, you know, just as a rule is not a rule if it's not enforced, I see that the game is going to be requiring this. And so it, now I want to go get big guard. Now I am going to look at strategy a little bit more. Now I am going to try and balance out my character's stats. I've been playing sort of like a kid, just rushing through. Um, but that's ultimately not going to be the best strategy for getting to the end. That's not even the best strategy for getting through fastest because you okay. can't just rush through. Um, which yeah. I think is an excellent aspect of a story game like an RPG because you do want to. You love the story. You want to read it, which can be sort of a fetishistic experience sort of like with the harry potters now we're studying them but when we were kids we absorbed them sort of like crack right we actually literally stayed up all night reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully with less of the negative side effects but yeah i mean in some yeah, ways yeah yeah for sure for sure for sure maybe some of the, the negative side effects being that you you learn to love reading and you do that more um, <laughs> we love reading of course um but um uh, but yeah, yeah, I like that the game requires diligence, that it, um, that it, it says if you want to get, you're, now that you are hooked in this story and you're getting even deeper and it's even more interesting and it's even more rewarding, well, you have to be better in order to get the, the further, the farther rewards 
in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? When you slack, we're going to give you a little hit on the butt and say, actually, you need to improve, but not just get stronger, but get smarter. Because the enemy we're going to put in front of you is so much stronger than you that you have to play it smart against it. Right. Um, you know, if it can kill you with one hit, you're going to have to learn how to do something to deal with that. And you do. And uh, yeah. so so I'm, I'm thinking about going back. I'm thinking about going back to get Yuffie and, uh, you know, maybe bolstering myself up a little bit. But that said, where should we, where should we think about getting to for next time? Now, um, now with Vince in tow. Yeah, well, so try to get through the mountains and into the town uh, beyond them, I, I suppose. I'm not sure exactly how long the mountain portion will take because I don't remember how much story, like, happens up there. I do remember it taking it like a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just fully explore and do all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, cool. That that'll be that'll be fun and so well are there any final considerations from tonight? Um we talked about music, the Shinra Mansion, what these dark figures from the past or from what these dark figures in this place from the past of cloud could mean. Uh bosses developing more sophisticated strategies for playing and and uh even what playing music could be yeah no i i thought i think as far as i can remember that's that's pretty much it but since you you'll get to sephiroth now so we can kind of come back around to that one more time because i i know there's a little more down in that basement that we haven't mentioned but oh okay okay yeah 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 for sure yeah, so, we'll so, just every, so everybody knows, I, I tried to beat that boss, but I died twice. And I got to where I could just run straight into the Shinra mansion and try and poison him and paralyze him. And I finally defeated him right right before the podcast. So I, I need to go back in and uh, catch up with Wes. All right. All right. Well, cool. another good night. Hopefully some of the night scholars are listening too, and they're enjoying all these nights we're putting out for them. And uh, well, look out for the next game, cool books next uh, week. And I thought uh, your conversation last week was really interesting. And oh, thanks for more of those too. And I also like that on your new school notes blog, which I love the outlay of you uh, lay out a course curriculum for your, your next podcast. So yeah, people can tune in during specific episodes if they find themselves very interested then and they'll always know exactly when it's coming out and that's very cool yeah yeah it's i'm putting it together as i go a little bit but i try to keep it updated uh with the uh stuff to do before the next episode comes out so yeah i hope it's i hope it's uh finding an audience out there yeah well you know if not now, certainly soon. Another time, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, there's, right something, there's something righteous about being ahead of your time, isn't there? Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, you know, everybody gets there at their own pace, I think, is, is the idea. All right. And I guess we can be the tortoises in some ways. Uh, and maybe the hares and others. All right. Cool. Till next time. All right, see ya.